Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. So my guest today is Lou Maxson, and I'm sitting in Lou's library. So this is an in-person episode, so the sound's going to be different than normal folks, but you'll get used to that. Lou, thank you for making the time. First off, the space is awesome, but we're going to get to that. Lou, you're a Seattle area designer. We're just going to give you one word description today. But I want to know, how did I end up here today? So what's your career, and how did you get to where we are? Awesome. Well, I think it's uh, if, if you were going to tell me that we would be sitting here today uh, in the library um, out out in a carnation, I'd probably tell you you're pretty crazy <laughs> because it because I think like a lot of things you don't you know you you set different goals or you you think about different things that you want to do. And then there's some things that sort of intercept and take you on a different path. So, uh, I mean, my, I think my, my career in design was more of a, I don't want to say like a, a happy accident, but it was more of a detour because of different ambitions. Um, okay. Yeah. So you grew up in the Seattle area. Yep. And... So for full disclosure for everybody, Lou and I tried to record this remotely and why this is a beautiful library, the Wi-Fi just wasn't cooperating. So we decided to get together in person. So we've already had half of a conversation before. So I'm going to like disclose some things in, in an effort to like get the ball moving forward. So Lou grew up in the Seattle area and you played lacrosse in high school. What I don't remember is did you play hockey in high school? No. Okay. No. So you played, you played lacrosse in high school and you ended up going to Gonzaga University in Spokane where you played hockey. And lacrosse. And lacrosse. So before we get going down the design path, one of the things that we didn't talk about before I want to know is why hockey? What got you going to play collegiate level hockey with not playing it before that? Yeah. So I think I was like nine or 10 years old and for christmas one year my dad gave me a uh, table hockey like rod slider table hockey and, and he was he he was uh from michigan grew up in michigan huge red wings fan he used to go to red wings uh games at the old i think it was called the olympia where they played before <clears throat> they play now um and i remember i think just like everything I've gotten into, I get into like <laughs> a million percent. And so I remember, I don't remember specifically what teams that game came with. I think it was like the Flyers and maybe it's the Flyers and the Islanders. That sounds right. And I remember looking at like the logos and the, the players didn't have names on them, but I, I remember just like being fascinated by hockey. Like the, the only sort of like, DNA evidence I had of hockey was this table hockey game. Like I, you know, didn't grow up playing hockey. Ho hockey was not big in Seattle. I mean, there was, there were minor league hockey teams. And, um, so I, 
I slow, I just like super got into it. You know, I mean, this is around the time, like they had inline skating, we play street hockey. Um, we would, um, my dad had a place up in the San Juans and because we were so close to Canada on the weekend, we got hockey day in Canada on CBC on Saturdays. So I just remember watching hockey, like just being completely fascinated by, by it. And I think it, in some ways it was the perfect sport, both hockey and lacrosse, because it wasn't the usual thing. And I think that's I think that's a theme for, for the rest of our conversation, right? Is it's not like basketball, soccer. I mean, I played soccer growing up, but once again, it wasn't quite what it is now. And to me, soccer is a, oh boy, my friends that are soccer fans, it's not a second class sport, but it's it's a notch below NBA and NFL, probably on par now with baseball. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was. So I, I remember, I mean, I remember we, we had, you know, in elementary school, you know, you'd have like a, a segment or a, of, of like gym class where you do different sports. <clears throat> and I remember when we, they would bring out the hockey and they would put like sock, they were like plastic sticks with like a rubber puck and they'd put socks on the end of the blades just so you didn't hit someone. And I just remember even then going into high school, we had, um, we, they also did floor hockey, but they had a, they had like a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, like Olympics one week, like different sporting events and hockey was one of them. And, um, I remember just like playing and, and dominating in hockey. They would take the gymnastic mats, fold them in, you know, into like hockey. And it was just like a blast. So it was something that, it was not really in the cards for me to play um, recreational hockey or like youth hockey. I mean, I think the closest rink was was Linwood, um, and I played lacrosse. And a lot of hockey players play lacrosse. <clears throat> and there's a version of lacrosse called box lacrosse, which is indoor lacrosse. Okay. Like played it like in an indoor soccer facility. So I I had basically kind of like taught myself how to skate. I knew the hockey part, but honestly, I went out for uh Gonzaga had a club hockey team and uh so it was they had a kind of a they had like a, a varsity and a second tier so I li- I remember I literally got my I had went out and got my equipment but I literally got my skates like the day of the first practice so the first time I went out um you know I played hockey like just for fun but the first practice freshman year like that was the first time I'd been on ice in hockey like in full hockey you're playing okay and it was just like a draft on ice. i mean it was not pretty but i i figured it out and um i mean i've been playing hockey ever since i i i've i've gotten to through work and design and then other things i've actually gotten to play hockey at a much higher level post-college than i ever did in college and um and my my kids grew up. They all played hockey. One of my kids went on to play hockey in college, and I've gotten to play in celebrity hockey games for Ronald McDonald House charities. And um, I've gotten to play with NHL players. I've gotten to play like really competitive. And now I just play, I play for fun. I play in a in a beer league um, a couple times a week. All right. So you, I guess, we'll go there first. 
We'll talk hockey before we go into <laughs> yeah, design. But so what you told me before, and I think this was in a conversation after the uh, the failed episode, was you were in a hockey fantasy camp because of one of your design clients. Yep. Okay. Yep. And you kind of played with this hack. <laughs> and uh, he was kind of noted for like skating where the puck's supposed to be, War 99, <laughs> even if you're not a hockey player fan we've all heard the name Wayne Gretzky yeah so what I want to know about Wayne Gretzky was did he take it easy on you or did he did you work for it I think uh so let me backpedal okay so I'm gonna set the scene so there's um I'm, I'm working for um I'm running creative and design for for Lexus the car company um the magazine that owners or if you lease the car got at the time had this department in the magazine every issue called quick study okay. and and it was it was basically where a writer would go do something and immerse themselves in kind of a world that wasn't really necessarily a world that they would ever get to do regularly so um we were on a trip with our client we were in we were literally sitting in a pool in monaco and we're getting ready to pitch ideas for the next issue. It came out four times a year. So I'm sitting in the pool with the clients in Monaco. It's like blazing hot. And um, I had heard about this uh, Gretzky fantasy camp. It costs like $9,999 to go, right? And the concept <laughs> is you live and you live and are treated like a pro athlete for the week. And... Um, this is 2004. So in the pool, hanging out, having drinks with the client, do my, do my spiel, right? So do you're the, literally do, pitching in the pool. I'm literally pitching with my feet dangling in the pool. And, um, and they know, uh, you know, like we're close, we're, we're close with the, like they knew about hot, you know, so we get the green light. It was a little tricky, honestly, because at the time, uh, I think Wayne had brand partnership with Ford. So it was a little, we were a little unsure if it was going to work, but we, we worked it out. And then also I, did, I took a week off, uh, basically off of work, of doing my work. So I, I went, and it's a classic case, and I think we'll get back to it. So my role was, I was going to be designing that issue of the magazine. So I would design uh, the story of me working, uh, getting to play with, with Wayne Gretzky for the week. But I was also writing the story. I was writing the article. So I was going to the camp to play and experience it, but I was also writing the story. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it's a perfect example because I, I went to Gonzaga to get a journalism degree because I wanted to be a writer editor, but I knew how to do design. So the design was my foot in the door to the writing. So here, I'm literally getting paid to go play hockey with Wayne Gretzky for the week. So I'm, I'm in Arizona, in uh, in uh, Phoenix and Glendale, because um, at the time the Coyote, Arizona Coyotes um, played in Glendale, and uh, I'm uh, they divide us and it's a bunch. There's a random. There's there's like ex players. There's uh, celebrities. Um, there's, uh, owners of hockey teams there. They're paying a lot of money, some flying in on private jets and they divide us into four teams. My team's coached by Wayne's dad 
um, Wayne Gretzky's dad, who basically, you know, is responsible and, and, and I'm, um, they, they would do like a couple practices. They draft you into teams and then you play one game with and one game against Wayne, okay. Wayne Gretzky. So, um, you know, I look up and I'm guarding Wayne Gretzky, you know, I mean, he's significantly shorter than me. <laughs> yeah. How and tall is Wayne Gretzky? I think, I think he's, I mean, I'm six, five, so he's, he's right around six feet or so if a little above, a little below, but okay. so when you take Wayne Gretzky into the corner, you know, you don't finish the check and there were, and I, and there were guys that, you know, they would give him the business a little bit and then he would fly by the bench and just, you know, give him a little, <laughs> and he didn't wear a helmet. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you know, you, you just don't go after him, but then. On the, on the flip side, you're you're all nice, and you look over, and Wayne Gretzky's your line mate, so you don't want to f up the pass. If Wayne Gretzky passes you the puck, you you know you don't want to miss the puck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but as a person, amazing. Like, I mean, as a kid growing up in Seattle, watching Hockey Night in Canada, to then look up and see that you're playing hockey with Wayne Gretzky. It was one of those things where after it was done, I kind of wanted to go back over and do it again. <laughs> like anything that is like, and, and I think the other thing is you meet a lot of people in, in media or design, you know, you meet people maybe who you look up to and then you meet them and it's not all that you had in your head. The exception is Wayne Gretzky. Okay. And um, I think one of the things I remember and I have it in my library, but about you know, after I wrote the article and sent it out, you know, there were there were other people that were at the uh, Yogi Berra's granddaughter, Lindsay, who wrote for ESPN, was at the camp playing hockey. Right. So there were other people there documenting s stories of that experience. You know, so I was, you know, just this like hayseed from <laughs> from Washington out there and about. After the article, one day in the mail came and I got, a. um, we had sent them, we had sent Wayne and his people like copies of the magazine, you know, as a thank you. And then, and then one day in the mail, I got two copies back. One was signed with a handwritten note, not from his agent or not from his like handler, but from, from him, thanking him for the. Um, yeah, for the story. So where my brain goes with all this is arguably the greatest hockey player of all time. And I think of hockey, first off, you, you look at me, do I look like I'd get on skates? Um, so first off, hockey is intimidating to me because you've got these metal blades on your feet and you've got <laughs> this gear and you've got sticks that are made out of wood or fiberglass or whatever, carbon fiber now or whatever they're made out of. And you're slapping a hard rubber disc around the goalies that were playing were they former nhl players playing goalie or was it yogi bear's granddaughter in, <laughs> no, in no. the between the pipes uh, it was a mix i think I, believe, I mean there were there were members of the 1980 edmonton oilers stanley cup team i mean paul coffee was a defenseman mm -hmm. there were um i i, I recall I, there were they're very good goalies and, and i mean and and our it was like a round robin so everybody played with wayne everybody played against wayne but when it got to the playoffs um our our team 
um, made it to the final and won the final. Um, and it, it was, I, and I remember like my second to last, or maybe it's the last shift. It was pretty tight. And we, we got, we played at their practice arena. And then we played the finals in the act where the coyotes played. And, um, I remember like Wayne's dad, you know, he, on my shift, like he was like, all right, you need to go. And if it goes into the court, you need to like, not rough it up, but, uh, you know, go a little harder than you. <clears throat> so I remember like going into the boards on someone pretty, like pretty, pretty good. And we, I mean, we won. It was like, you know, you felt, you kind of felt like you had won the Stanley Cup. In fact, that, I think it was that night after we won. I mean, there was a celebration in the locker room. And, um, but like that night at the kind of closing ceremonies of the camp, I was standing outside. Uh, and uh, I actually, I actually went to the camp with my old Gonzaga roommate. He's a big hockey fan, so we were we were hanging out for the whole week because you could bring somebody. And um, we saw his car pull up, and then uh, the guy comes out, pops the trunk, and I looked at him. I was like, God, this guy looks familiar. And I had watched as a kid all these uh, like VHS tapes of like Stanley Cup games, and there's a guy who's the handler of the Stanley Cup, like he travels with the Stanley cup. And I was looking up and I was like, I'm like, that's the guy he goes in the trunk, takes out this big box. And, and he looked at me and I looked at him and I was like, you're, you're Phil, like you're the guy. And so we're sitting in like the banquet room and they're giving out the awards. And I have a, I have a signed stick from Wayne because from our, from our, our win and then this guy walks in and he's bringing he brings this they had the stanley cup brought in for this <laughs> and so everybody got to go up and i got to lift the, i mean you're not supposed to touch the cup that's the thing if you're a current player you don't touch the cup unless you've won it okay uh, and i was not going to win the stanley cup because i was not playing in the nhl at that time but i got to lift the stanley like i got to lift it above my head at this thing i there's a video of it uh floating around youtube somewhere it was like oh my gosh this is a, like i remember fake lifting up the cup like on my street <laughs> you know? and now here you are. all right so the reason i ask about the goalies is the the idea that wayne gretzky could be taking a shot on goal to some amateur uh doesn't seem fair no and so I was hoping that you were going to say that the goalies were at least, you know, people that were highly proficient hockey players as goalies. Okay. So let's tie this back to college. So the, the client that greenlighted this was, was Lexus. And this is about 2004. Yeah. How did you go from Gonzaga to <laughs> yeah. Lexus? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, so I, my, the junior year between my, or the year, the year between my junior year and senior year, um, I mean, I was, I was, uh, I was on track, so I was a, a journalism major and at Gonzaga, that was pretty much newspaper journalism. Um, so I was writing for the paper. I was, I was actually, I was also running design for student publications. So I was, designing ads that would go in the publications. So I was, I was within the Gonzaga world. I was, I was on, on the pathway. I was also an intern at the Inlander, which is like the Seattle weekly of Spokane. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I was a non-paid, um, production <laughs> intern there. Um, 
So while at Gonzaga, I was uh, doing a weekly newspaper. I was doing my full course of classes. Um, I was interning at, uh, also interning at the Inlander, and I was playing hockey. So I had a busy, I had a busy, busy time. Um, my my summer between my junior and senior year, um, a professor had come to me and said, "Hey, we have this." partnership with Fordham, which is another Jesuit school in New York. Um, they're doing like this media program. And um, I think I can get you in there. I think you apply for the scholarship and you go and live in New York for the summer. And I had been to New York, but like visiting family, but not working. So I was like, okay, so I filled it out and, and got in. And so I moved to New York and I worked, um, I interned at like a couple different places. One of the places was a magazine <clears throat> Uh, independent independent magazine, but a real, like a real magazine distributed at the at the bookstore and everything around the country called KGB. <laughs> it was kind of this like counterculture independent magazine of arts culture, and it was run by um, these two guys uh, from Harvard. Well, one of them was the f- the film editor was um, Darren. Uh, Afronowski, the film, the film director who just did White the Whale, and okay. and um, did um, Pi and did Requiem for a Dream. Um, he was the film editor of the magazine, and so I I joined as like an intern for the summer, and I so I got to go around and like not only was I in New York taking classes at Fordham, but I was I was kind of getting a taste of the magazine life, uh, appetizer platter, and um, so I did that for the summer, uh, and then um, came back to Gonzaga in the fall, you know tough to go from new york to spokane (laughs) but like you know it was uh and even though you know it's like when you've got a taste of what's happening in the world and then you go back to the academic world where you're you know you're still in the in that in that track right and um i knew i wanted to do magazines like i wanted to be a, a magazine designer um that was clear and i wanted to just be involved with and i think like working in media working it's like a team sport right so hockey and like it all it just like for me it it made sense so graduated from gonzaga in may um worked at this small marketing communications firm in seattle and um I knew when I got there also, like I had the same feeling when I was there as I did right when I got back from school from being in New York, like, this is not it. Like I'm this, I'm far away, mm-hmm. you know, from geographically and like conceptually from what I was just doing in New York. So, um, so that was graduated in May worked kind of over the summer. Um, in August, I'm, you know, it's early August, I'm getting off work, one of those beautiful Seattle August days, taking the metro number two from <laughs> Queen Anne home. Living at living at home, like moved moved back home. Um and uh going down kind of right by where Key Arena was, the wires pop off the bus. <laughs> bus is stopped. I'm right across the street from um the romper room on lower queen anne okay this bar um 
right on the corner from Jalisco's. Jalisco's, the Mexican restaurant was right there. Anyway, neither of those two things are there anymore. <laughs> um, so I have the choice. I can wait for the next bus or I can pop in um, the romper room. And I honestly like, oh, I was supposed to meet a good friend of mine there. And then it, it just didn't work out. And there's no cell phones. Right. <laughs> right. right. So, <laughs> so I pop in there and uh, two women walk in. Bars. I mean, it's like, you know, five o'clock. It's still pretty empty. And they're like, hey, can we sit down with you? I was like, yeah, sure. And um, at that moment, like, I met my wife. Like, <laughs> she was there with her, her, she was there with her, fr- her friend. She lived like right around the corner from the romper room. And, you know, I just graduated and working at this little place and um, hit it off. And my plan was like, how quickly can I get back to New York? And I, I think I even told her like that night, I was like, hey, look, like it was Thursday. I'll call you. I think I had like an interview for for something in New York. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, um, let, let's go out next week or, something. you know, fast forward to october we moved to new york together <laughs> and i and i was like hey we're gonna i'm moving to new york uh, my goal my dream is to work on a magazine or whatever and she'd never been to new york and um so we we moved there with no job we had a in new york you have to have like a tri-state guarantor to guarantee your rent if you don't have a oh, a, a job <laughs> i did not i didn't know that okay so we had uh these people we met, they they drove a U-Haul across the country. They wanted to go on a trip, so they drove a U-Haul. It didn't we didn't have much. Um, moved to New York. My first job was like a uh, contract job, like collating media kits for Patty Labelle. <laughs> so I'm in New York, but I'm not close. Like I'm I'm on the green, mm-hmm. like. But I'm not near the. I'm not putting for. But, you know, I'm not. I'm not doing a design job. And at that time, I'm, you know, you're looking for jobs in the, in the newspaper. So I found this listing. It was for the Village Voice. And uh, they were looking for a designer. So I applied. I base at that time, I basically, all I had for work was a few things I had kind of lightly touched at the marketing firm. But what I did have um, was I had a... Uh, my own independent zine that I started basically at Gonzaga um, because in order to get a job, I needed work. But in order to get work, <laughs> you know, I needed a job. <laughs> so I basically started this zine called Code. And it was kind of like KGB. It was like kind of a downriver version of KGB. It was like culture, media, arts. You know, we interviewed musicians. We did, you know, and I met a lot of people when I was in New York. Um, so I would just hire them as writers, like, and I wasn't paying. It was just for fun. It was basically a portfolio piece in the form of a magazine to, to get enough experience to take, to show someone that I could do the work. So now um, what you're leaving out though, is that zine ended up in tower records, tower, yeah, tower yeah. books. Yeah. You, you, it wasn't just like you were giving it away <laughs> on the back of your car. No, no. And it was, it was a follow up to getting, um, <laughs> getting, uh, having a taste of that in high school. I got asked to do, I got, I could do the, I was like the design, there was like two halves of this other thing I worked on 
and um and i was the other half because i knew how to design right so um we got a little we got we we got our hands slapped a little bit and we got in trouble and i like i was like oh man and, and that also helped i think amp up my ambition to study this at Gonzaga because I was like, Oh, this is kind of dangerous. Like this is a little, mm-hmm. this, you know, the first kind of taste of, um, as Steve jobs would say, like why join the Navy when you can be a pirate, you know? And I think, I think I've always sort of gone the, I've always sort of figure out where everybody else is going and then gone the other way, you know, a la Gretzky, a la, you know, and, um, in terms of philosophy. So I'm at, I'm interviewing, I got the job at the village voice and, uh, you know, I, it, it was, it was good, but it wasn't a magazine, right? It was, it was like, you know, I'd worked at the Inlander, which was like a weekly, mm-hmm. the village voice is iconic. I mean, was I, well, it's, I think it's still around digitally, but the print, I mean, it went out every week some of the top writers, some, you know, it, it was a really good experience, but I wanted to work at a magazine. So I, I answered another ad in the, in New York times. And there was a startup called timeout timeout, New York. It was started by, um, this guy in London who had timeout London, who had started it as a zine, as a way to like promote all these places he wanted to go. Basically he didn't see that. So he created it. Right. Which I loved. So I applied for, there were two jobs. There was an editorial designer and there was an editorial designer and promotions designer. So I applied for editorial designer. I got the job offered that was editorial designer plus promotions because I had done some marketing and advertising, even though I wouldn't say I'd done marketing and advertising. I had done a little bit. And honestly, like that, I was like, I think it was like $24,000 a year, 1996. And I'm thinking, wow that seemed like a lot of money, but it was not a lot of money. And then New York and then federal tax and then state tax and then city tax. I probably was giving it away. I mean, but I was working at a magazine. It was a weekly magazine. It was like over a hundred pages. Timeout was known for their iconic covers. And, um, it was a listings magazine. So it had a f- features and then a lot of it was just like art, dance, culture, things to do, but they had a partnership with penguin and so they would do guidebooks and part of the promotions part of the job was that I not only designed, um, my section of the magazine, but I also designed all the promotions for like when they do like a summer fest music festival or this or that. So suddenly I went from doing the zine to now I'm like going on photo shoots with the Wu-Tang Clan <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, and it's, is a little bit fake until you make it. Cause I kind of taught myself how to do enough to do my thing but now i'm doing it like for a legit you know operation and um so it's really great so i did that for a while and then um so i went from like a zine to a weekly village voice to a weekly magazine the next step i guess would be a monthly mass consumer magazine so there was a company called Gruner and Yar. They were owned by Bertelsmann, the company that you used to like get dollar CDs for, like in the in the in in the ads and stuff. And they had Fitness, Family Circle, McCall's. They had these portfolio reviews. So by this time, like I've got some timeout stuff. I've got my I still I'm showing code in my portfolio. I've got like Bayliner from the marketing, you know. Yeah. So I've got like 
luxury, you know, Bayliner and Maxim yachts. I've got this little like handcrafted zine, and then I've got a little bit of Village Voice and some Time Out. Like I'm starting to build a thing. Um, and uh, fast forward, it's between McCall's, which is kind of like your grandmother's magazine, and YM, which is like your teenage daughter's magazine. Magazine, mm-hmm. like, and um, I. I took the job at YM. This is like during when like Prince William, um, Alicia Silverstone, Clueless, uh, you know, celebrity driven covers, super bright colors. Um, and I'm doing like flow charts, like, does he love you? <laughs> you know what I'm doing? Like information. Design. I mean, I'm doing like really complex infographics, uh, targeted to like teenage audience <laughs> so fantastic you know i feel uh, and now i'm like a senior designer moving up to like art director at ym and then um right around the time we we flew back so this is like 90 90 let's see it's a, 98 we got married in seattle it was one of those things like super hot in in new york fly back get married have a reception on the scansonia um on lake union beautiful day and you're like having these flickers of the pacific northwest um so then get married go on a honeymoon come move come back to new york work 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 um and then um we had this deal between my wife and I that at any time past like a certain amount of time that we lived there, we could just say, okay, we're going to go back. Okay. So we, so we moved back. Um, So let me ask you this question. Whose idea was it to move back? Uh, I mean, I think it was kind of both of our, like we, I think we had a little bit of, a little bit of homesick nostalgia after the wedding. Like you're Mm -hmm. in Seattle, you're on the boat, all the families there, it's not 900 degrees, you know, and humid. <laughs> I, and I feel like I had, I feel like I had, like she, my wife was working on wall street at Goldman Sachs. I was working at a national consumer magazine, mm-hmm. right? Like I went from, from like collating media kits for Patty LaBelle to work to my dream. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, like I'm on my, like I, I scratched that itch. If I left today, I would have no regrets. And and we we were walking home one day and we saw this guy pushing this cart down our street and um, with a big like he had like a a huge knife and then we heard like there was like a knife fight on our street and we were just like this is like this is not gonna work and we didn't see we didn't see a way to sort of move up like get a bigger place like it wasn't we weren't sure that that was in, in our in our card so we. So we left, we moved back, um, we moved back, you know, and, and this is right around, right, right near, I mean, getting into like nine eleven when the magazine industry basically came to a, mm-hmm. and the financial came to a, you know, a halt. So move back. And I remember moving back and thinking like, this is it, like the best moment of my career <laughs> has happened. Um, cause I mean, Seattle was still a little, I mean, it was kind of, there were there were ad agencies there weren't really magazines um there was there was Seattle magazine which is pretty much it there was the Seattle weekly there was the stranger right so from for publication design not there wasn't a lot uh, move back 
actually um, worked at an ad agency at Publicis, the agency that took the account away from the marketing agency I'd worked at right out of college. So now I'm running that. Like, and, and they're like, Hey, can you, um, we need you to design like six catalogs this year. And I, I, I had just come from like designing 52 magazines in a year. So I'm like, you're giving me a year to do six catalogs. I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, I'd get bored out of my mind. So while I was working at Publicis, I saw, a, I, once again, I saw like a little ad i don't know this is like the seattle times or the weekly and it was like looking for looking for a designer to design a prototype for a new city magazine i was like oh man this looks cool so like i contacted i actually created a prototype there was a magazine called metropolitan living not mm -hmm. seattle metropolitan no metropolitan Metro living. yeah and um so i created a prototype met the owner the owner had never done a, a magazine what didn't really have a he had he had like a a background doing like kind of more like a b2b magazine um or b2b like newspaper but um so presented it to him had a whole vision for it everything um and got selected and so the first issue so the first issue we have um of metropolitan living uh, uh so suddenly so i'm at university of washington with rick neuheisel <laughs> 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 so one of the coolest parts I think about um, do being in media is you get to meet people that you've like grown up like hearing about and then do stories. So I'm, and this is like, pr this is pre Rick Neuheisel mm -hmm. getting, you know, so we're, so we're like on the field and um, I have this idea. I'm like, Hey, let's like, he had just gotten hired. And we had a ladder and I was like, hey, I'm with the photographers there. And I was like, hey, will you like lay down on like the 50 yard line? And we'll shoot you from above, kind of get the whole field and the stadium. And I remember him being like, I'm not laying down on the job. Like, I'm not. And I was like <laughs> a little funny in hindsight. Anyway, so we were like throwing Pat. I mean, he was a quarterback. So we we're like throwing footballs at Husky Stadium. Like, how cool is this? I mean, I was like not I didn't play football. I played like flag football, but to throw like I was a member of like the junior Husky club, mm -hmm. you know, and to like throw footballs at Husky stadium, like, Oh, cool. One of those cool sports moments. So we launched Metropolitan living within an issue. Seattle magazine was nervous, right? Like it was a, it was a bigger size. Mm -hmm. It was bolder design wise. Um, and with, I think after like my first year there, I started getting, Hey, would you consider coming to Seattle magazine? <laughs> you know? So in some ways, metropolitan living was like code again, you mm -hmm. know, it was like this experimental platform. Um, and it was free. So we didn't have cover lines. So we, it wasn't a hard sell. It was like, you could just go pick it up. Like, so there was a lot more freedom. And, um, so I got, I went in, I got the job at Seattle magazine. I was there for, I think, three years. My, after like six months, I remember coming in one day and there was this thing on my chair and I looked and it was an award and I, and I didn't enter it. And it was for like best editorial design for city magazine. And I guess, and I was like, oh, so it's kind of weird. Cause now it's kind of like, okay, well I'm at Seattle magazine now, you know, and I'm, and um, I had to rule at Seattle Magazine, no space needles. <laughs> like that was my rule. I was like, this is a magazine not for people who came to visit Seattle. This is a magazine for people who lived in Seattle. So my first thing was 
kind of, and it was even before I was working in brand really was like, how do I create a set of values that make the magazine stand out from being something else? And the expected things that you, that you think about Seattle at the time, you know, like grunge and space needle and monorail and all those things were things that I wanted to dig deeper. I wanted the magazine to represent what it was really like to live here. So mm-hmm. I had a no space needle rule. Um, and we were like in the shadow of the space needle. So every time I looked out like, Oh, there's the space needle. Um, so I was at <laughs> Seattle magazine for three years, um, completely redesigned the magazine. In fact, the redesign we did at Seattle magazine lasted for like 10 years. It was crazy. Magazine won some awards. Um, one day I get a call from a recruiter and they're like, Hey, we're interested in having you join interested in having you interview for this job. And I was like, what was the job? I was like, well, we really can't. It was at this company called story worldwide. And, um, like we, we can't, we have a client in mind and it would be like a step up, like design director, kind of creative director level. We can't tell you who it's for, <laughs> <laughs> but it's in the auto category. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I went, I went to interview and it was a con it was a full-time contract job. It wasn't a full-time job. So it wasn't a full-time pay, like benefits job. It was right. like, uh, uh, we pay you a lot of money, um, but you have to pay your own taxes <laughs> and all your stuff. Right. It's like, okay. And you know, we had a, we had a, we had had our first kid. So we're like, Oh, this is really, I mean, the job sounded interesting, but it was like, I don't know if this is really great. Um, so it's like, okay. So I went and interviewed, um, they offered me the role and then I found out what it was. I was like, Oh wow. Like Lexus. Like, so now I'm going from like zine (laughs) metropolitan living Seattle magazine to like international brand. And it's a brand job. It's like a brand it's being, it's running the magazine, but also it's representing a brand. It's like, it's a magazine and a branded content job. It's not a, um, here's, uh, 50 top doctors. (laughs) (laughs) Not a bunch of listicles. No, it's not about, and, and I mean, Seattle magazine, I mean, it was, um, you know, I ate way my way through Seattle and the best restaurants issue. And I, I mean, we were, we were having lunch with Terry Rattero, you know, (laughs) we were, uh, we were, uh, traveling around and getting to go to these Northwest getaways. I was doing shoots in these beautiful Pacific Northwest homes. Um, you know, I got to do a shoot with Rick, the peanut man at Safeco field. I got to sit in the, um, camera well with Lou, um, with Lou Pinella for a Mariners game. Um, I got to like take war. I got to like do shoot around with when, the women's basketball when the WNBA the came. Storm? Okay. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I got to do, do a, a bunch of cool Seattle things. So it was a really great stepping stone, but Lexus was like completely different level. Okay. I want to interrupt you because when, when, yeah, when yeah. I, I want to talk about the Seattle sitting in the camera well with Lou Pennella. Yeah, 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 yeah. The beautiful thing about this show is that I'm the one that gets asked the question. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. This is the question I want to know. What was Lou Pennella like? In person. So, you know, I mean, I knew I liked baseball a lot. I, I like before our hockey was on my radar, I, I would say I was a baseball guy. Okay. Like my, um, I was a huge Detroit Tigers fan because my family was in Detroit. Right. 
My favorite baseball player was Lou Whitaker. Okay. Se- second base, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I love I love the story of him playing the All Star game, forgetting his jersey, and Sharpie marking the number one on the back of his jersey, then hitting like a home run over Tiger Stadium in the All Star game. I don't know that story. That's a <laughs> um, cool story. Okay. Um, so I was I, I love baseball. I thought I was going to play base. Like I I played baseball um, up until high school, and I thought I wanted to play baseball in high school. Like I just like I love baseball. I had baseball cards. I had Bill James baseball book. Mm-hmm. I did rotisserie baseball with the YooHoo. The, you know, I like I was into baseball big time. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew of Lou Pinella. I knew of the fiery, right? You know, but um, and you always feel you know you, when you're. I think when you're the media and you're you get to have access to people like that. You always, you kind of always feel like you're already getting in the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So we were there and we were shooting and I was with a, a good friend of mine, photographer. And I remember like he came out and he's kind of an, impo- I mean, I'm, I'm a tall guy, but he's an imposing figure. Like all the things that you hear about him run through your head. And I remember they were like in batting practice. So he came over, he shook my hand. Uh, hey, Lou. Hey, Lou. <laughs> and then I remember him handing me the, uh, the bat, a uh, baseball uh, bat, like, cause he was, I don't know. He was coming out of the dug, coming out into the dugout and he handed me the bat and I'm like, so excited, like this beautiful bat. And I reach it and it's just riddled in pine tar. So the whole night I had just like tar all, over your all my hand, <laughs> And I mean, we just like took some portraits of him and, you know, very, like very, very, probably very well media trained, <laughs> very cordial, but um, like s- s- to sit that they're sitting in the stands, but there's like when you're on the field during a game, um, you don't realize all the semantics of baseball. You know, mm-hmm. like the, you don't, the when you're watching it in the stands or you're watching it on TV, the focus is the pitcher batter. But when you see the culture of baseball, like mm-hmm. it's, and you, you don't like, why does the manager wear a uniform? He's not playing, but he's, he's playing in his mind, in his mind. Right. Like there's these like, and it like, I'll never forget it. I mean, even though. I haven't followed baseball as closely as before, but anytime I go to a Mariners game, I remember, I remember that. And, um, you just, you see the relationship with the players and the motivations. And, Mm -hmm. um, he did not disappoint. It's very strange for me to turn on the TV and see him in a shag commercial. (laughs) Very, very odd. Yes. I'm glad you referenced that because that's, it's just very, very odd because I just remember him. I remember being, you know, a long suffering Mariners fan. Right. And Lou Pinella coming to manage the team was like uh, a badge of what's the word I'm, I'm struggling, but like legitimacy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like and then there had been legitimate managers and, and players for the Mariners before, but Lou Pinella, Yankees manager, Lou yeah. Pinella, Yankees manager, and the his personality molded those teams, and those teams they didn't win a lot. They did some did win, but you know, they, well. But the point is, 
Lou Pinello put his imprint on on the city. Yeah. And so that's very cool that you got to sit with him. Okay. So Lexus. Yeah. Brand management, magazine, but you're a contractor. Yeah, I'm a contractor for like, for, I think I was contractor for like six months. I remember the the first time I had to pay taxes and I was like, oh man, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I got offered, I got offered uh, full time. So I was, I was there for, I was there for a little over five years. It was, it was like that, that, you know, people ask like, oh, tell me like the job that transformed your career. I mean, that would definitely be the job. I mean, at that point, like everything changed mm-hmm. for, for me creatively. I think for, for like my wife and I, <laughs> for our, for our family. Um, but, but it would, it wouldn't have ever happened if I would have never done those other things well, you know yeah, everything it, leads leads you to where yeah where you are today will lead you to where you're going to be in five years yeah so i i i see that but so this was a this is a departure from what you had been doing previously after post-college yeah. and then so you were with with lexus for five years and what I'm noticing when you describe these things is, is you, you've said this like multiple times. Well, I was looking at the jobs online or in a paper. <laughs> so it seems like you're always trying to be aware of what opportunities may present themselves to you, which yeah. is um, the hallmark of somebody who's ambitious and creative, in my opinion. One would say you could have stayed at Lexus until you retired. You know, it would have been a, a fine career. Yeah. What paper were you looking in when you left? Lexus? <laughs> no. Well, no, I mean, that, that, that's the thing is I think I got, I think I got, I think my looking was sort of, um, done by the time I got to, to when I was in New York and got the, 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 the YM job, you know, because I wasn't really, you know, I could have stayed there easily. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, moving back to Seattle, working at the, working at an ad agency again. Uh, I mean, I needed, I needed to like find that job, but at, at Seattle magazine, I could have stayed there for a long time. Like when they, when they reached, I wasn't looking, mm-hmm. they reached, I got headhunted for that job. And so when I, you know, it was like to, I guess in the magazine or in the brand world or mag- that'd be like playing in Seattle magazine was still like major league, but it would be like playing in Tacoma and then getting called up to the show. Right. Okay. Cause Lexus on a bigger level wasn't just a magazine. It was a much bigger job. It wasn't just like doing issues of the magazine. It was, well, it's a global brand. Yeah, yeah. I mean the Seattle magazine, Yes, I'm sure people read it outside of the city of Seattle, but it is yeah, it is Seattle. Yeah. Where Lexus is global. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that was super powerful for both at Metropolitan Living and at Lexus was that um we didn't have Metropolitan Living definitely did not have a lot of money. Uh Seattle magazine, um also limited in terms of who we could hire. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of talent development, you okay. know? And so when I think about minor leagues, I think about, okay, the thing that I can give that I can't give a lot of money to like these photographers or illustrators, but what I can promise is that I can give them a great piece that they can use 
to get to 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 develop to get further build their portfolio yeah so Mm -hmm. a lot of people that i started with um at metropolitan living um came with me Mm -hmm. you know and um uh one super quick story which i think is which is fun um and someone that i've i've been good friends with since is um at seattle magazine I had worked with uh, this this photographer who I gave his first assignment to at Metropolitan Living. His name is Thor Radford, good friend of mine to this day. And um, we're doing the restaurants issue. And there was kind of like this, there's kind of a few go-tos in Seattle for food mm-hmm. stuff. But this was editorial. This wasn't like shooting fancy food in a studio. And um, one thing that I love to do back to the spirit of like, everybody goes left and I go right is to find something in either someone's personal work. Like so people would come and show me their portfolios and I would look at everything. And for me, and I, to this day, I even tell like students in your professional work, I want to see like a consistency of delivery, but um, in your personal work, like if you're doing stuff outside of your regular job like i want to see the vision like i want to see what it is that if everybody's lined up and can do the fundamentals like what is the thing that makes you stand out from that and um so we had shot all these food things and um so thor was living in spokane i called him up i said hey um we're gonna do this best restaurants we have a week to like hit 40 restaurants eat the best food in seattle for a week um i was like have you ever shot food (laughs) (laughs) and this is over the phone he's like "Uh, not really no but but i had seen him shoot other things right Right. and so i was like okay go down the street like go get a tart go get like a lemon tart down at the grocery right bring it back and we're gonna i'm gonna we're gonna i'm gonna art direct you over over the phone and then you're gonna shoot a polaroid because it's a so Polaroid, no, no digital. Take a photo of it, uh, email it to me, and I'll show the editor. So we like literally, I literally directed him to shoot this like fake shot of this chart. I put it into a fake layout, went to the editor, showed it to her, and and had it like enough nudging to get. Uh, she was like un- unsure because like this is not the usual suspect. Thor, you know, g- gets the job, she travels over, and we spend the week shooting. And he shot the whole thing. And then after that, like suddenly now he's shooting food. Right. Right. So I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's a little bit back to your Lou Pinella thing. Right. I think it's like, how do you, like there's players that, you know, you can expect certain things out of, how do you find the kind of like nuance with teams, whether you're doing a project or you're managing a team, like the kind of, the the stuff that more you kind of observe and see in the locker room versus the see, stuff you see in the field. And I think that kind of stuff from sports or just like seeing that or leading that helps to great work and also helps to, because pe- the people who are the best creatively at what they do, they're not waking up and flipping it on at eight and then shutting it off at four. Like they're living full on mm-hmm. creative lives, right? So it took those early jobs to get that Lexus. Um, I was on a whole nother level just because suddenly, suddenly you go from being the Oakland A's to the New York Yankees. Right. And you can spend some money. <laughs> right. 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 So now we're, you know, we're flying to Singapore for the week and shooting, following a chef or shoot, Morocco. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or shooting 
shooting Monaco. Monaco, yeah, Armonico. shooting um, a chef at the fresh market, chopping off a, you know, a frog leg, and then you know, or, um, yeah, I mean, like, it was insane. It was it was a good time economically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And um, you know, we would fly. We would fly to London for a meeting. You know, we we were flying all, and and we had there was an international version of the magazine, and um, but one thing was, we did all this. I started. We started getting into films. Like we were we were taking stories that we were producing for the magazine. We were all, then we would go shoot and we would create a film of it, like mm-hmm. a film version, like kind of like Evening Magazine, but high, like a higher premium. I have this like aesthetic from Code that was like when we were like putting pieces of pizza and a scanner and to get a you know to now we're like eating at like the yeah. finest and and my aesthetic for design went from sort of this like uh very analog and not very digital pixel perfect to like very beautiful and clean mm-hmm. like very mr clean lexus was i mean it's japanese it's very it's edited down to its essence uh, what I learned from that job was I had come from YM, which was like being in Times Square, right. to like Lexus, which was like being in a bento box. <laughs> right, right. right. Okay. And so um, it was very helpful for me because um, my natural instinct was like kind of to MacGyver stuff together. And I kind of had to learn this. And my I didn't go to design school, so I don't know like Swiss from, you know, <laughs> whatever. But um I learned a ton. Uh, I learned. I I, lear- I fell in love aesthetically with a lot of the brand, Japan, mm-hmm. beauty, simplicity. Um, but the thing that kind of changed me at Lexus wasn't necessary. I mean, career-wise, I was on a trajectory. But personally, we were doing these store. We were also we were shooting these cars in these amazing places, and we had budget. We did this story. It was um, it was in China, and it was a series of boutique hotels in near the near the Great Wall, designed by different architects. Um, and I remember getting the f- film back and going through to, to to create the layouts. And there was like these two prints. One was like this beautiful cast in place concrete wall with a single tree and this like wood planking and the other was this beautiful concrete board formed concrete um texture stairs and i put like the two images together and we did the head and i remember like just staring at those images and like architecturally like i felt like i was there but there was like this moment of Lexus Japanese editorial design clarity. I was like, man, like I'd been in these spaces in Seattle, these different architects. And, but at that moment I was like, I'd never seen anything like that. It was like going from black and white to color. And I I was, I remember like telling my wife, like maybe like someday we do our own place. We do our own thing. I like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Like it just, it it stuck with me. I, I ended up, leaving um the agency that we did because we did the agency that we did lexus with um we did other work 
like it wasn't it wasn't majority was Lexus, but um, I was at a, I was the next level was actually a creative director, which was like the the top of the ladder. So um, I got a call from a headhunter. <laughs> um, so now this is like the new thing, right? Now I'm not looking. Right. They're they're looking, and there was a startup in Seattle that was doing like they had come from Canada and they came to Seattle and they were doing health and wellness, but for companies. So they were working with like Starbucks. So the, the goal was to create um, pro health and wellness programs, even before wellness was cool. Like wellness was like, you know, and um, they'd already interviewed, they're already in their final interview. Like I missed the whole loop. Um, it was, uh, but out of the blue, they're like, would you come in for an interview? interview right i was like okay so i went in for an interview met the founder met some of the team and they're like all right like and it was a creative director job like it wasn't necessarily it was more money than lexus which was kind of weird but it was a startup so it wasn't the global visibility it was a little bit more money but it was a higher title right it was the title i needed to be at to be like in the next thing so i took it and um we created a, a, it was creating, unlike Lexus, which was established, but we were spreading Lexus stories and around the world. This was like creating something from scratch, kind of like Metropolitan Living, kind of like the zine, but directly for a brand, no magazine. Um, so I did that. Um, we, uh, I did that for a while. I actually ended up working with Thor. <laughs> uh, again, he shot a lot of the stuff. We, we really didn't have a lot of money um, at all for startup. So we had to get, get crafty, but I used a lot of this, the, I use a lot of editorial storytelling for a, for a kind of a, not a corporate for, for a brand. And I got to work with Starbucks. Um, we, we created a, a, a smoothie, um, that became the Vivano at Starbucks, which is kind of cool. We, I got to create some things in part. So I was working with brand collaboration and so every job is kind of like, um, unlocking a new key of the puzzle. And mm -hmm. then, um, uh, the brand got bought by Regents Blue Shield and, um, went through a few CEOs start, uh, it was a start typical startup. It was, it was funded by Mavron, which is like a big local VC company right. Right. started by Howard Schultz. And, um, so I got, uh, so I wasn't sure, like, it was like, you know, the goal was to kind of get acquired and, eh, you know, and, um, so that happened pretty quick, pretty quickly, like two, two years or something. I got a call from a recruiter and they're like, Hey, um, I don't know if you'd be interested. There's this footwear brand in Seattle kind of at this like critical moment. Um, we've had a lot of people in, haven't really quite figured out, not sure about the in-house team. I was like, Oh, who's it for? It's like Brooks. And um, I was like, Brooks, like, I was not a runner. I was like playing hockey. And so I went in, did the interviews. Uh, super great guy, Dave Larson, was a VP of marketing, um, ex Nike. Uh, and um, I kind of liked the fact that they said it was kind of an, like a, um, it wasn't a dead end. It was kind of like an impossible, mission impossible. <laughs> like, you got this group that we kind of need to figure out. And we're at this kind of point in the business. So came in there, um, sort of just like, listened had an in-house group of creatives for the first time like i had managed people but now i had a whole team okay and um and then we had and then they had an agency so now i'm working in for a brand managing a team and i've got an agency externally so i've kind of got a little it's like cake and eat it too right because i because i was operating coming from lexus at that brand agency level 
So I totally related to the agency point of view. What I didn't have was what I kind of had a little bit from Seattle Magazine because I had folks that reported to me was having my own team internally at a brand. So now I'm doing that. Um, kind of had to learn. I kind of had to learn like the running. Like I wasn't a runner. Like you'd go find someone at lunch. Like oh, they're running like half marathon for lunch. S- super running culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the brand was pivoting. And it was at that time, it was kind of, it was almost like, um, it was kind of like very serious, like running, like all Nike, um, Brooks, all these brands, like running is hard. It's sweat, big sweat, you know, like, you know, it's painful. And Brooks's (laughs) positioning was, um, that we, that we, we make, it's the perfect ride for every stride. Right. So whether you have your gates all whacked out or you're this or you're that like we 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 can carry you through the spectrum from whatever kind of runner you are to where you want to be and then also um you know we want to make gear that helps you run mm-hmm. better right so uh did a lot of research worked closely with the team and then um basically ended up relaunching a position that they had before but they didn't really activate called run happy and it wasn't a campaign that lasted like for a few months. It was a way, of, it was an oxygen, okay. <laughs> right? It was a way of life. Um, so my boss, Dave Larson's boss is Jim Weber, who's CEO of Brooks. Um, also uh, was, uh, as I understand it, his roommate was the backup goalie for the 1980 men's hockey team that won at, Lake, at Lake Placid. Right. So here's hockey and, and running coming right. together. So suddenly I'm I'm playing in the US Brooks versus US or Canada Brooks sales meeting up at Whistler oh. with Jim Weber. Okay. <laughs> playing hockey. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I got I played on Jim snuck me on to his like uh his rec league hockey team. <laughs> okay. Okay. And Jim's boss became Warren Buffett because Warren because Brookshire brought Bob Brooks, right? Uh, so we, I did not know that. So we, um, I'm coming from this super clean, very perfect pixel, perfect Lexus world. And Dave is completely the opposite. Dave Larson's completely the opposite. He's, you know, fun, very unorthodox, very different, like marketing wise. So I kind of had to unlearn Lexus and, and like, uh, not grow my hair out, but I had to kind of like let it let loose. I had to kind of get back to code a little bit, okay. have a little bit more fun. So we run, we launched run happy. It goes crazy. We're working with the Sklar brothers who are like, um, brother comedians. They did always sunny in Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. so suddenly we're shooting commercial TV down in California. Um, I had been itching to the shoebox when I got there was blue. It was a flood of blue. It was, if there was any more blue, it would have been the ocean. And I, I, I had worked with this illustrator named Peter Arkel um, at Lexus. And I went into Dave and I went into Jim and just like, even within like the first three months, I was like, we got to do something about this box. If we're going to be run happy, we can't be this like corporate blob. Right. So I had this vision of creating a shoebox that celebrated all the the that point of view of like um perfect ride for every stride and every means everyone right and so that's like i'm you know i'm running for a cause i'm pushing uh 
you know, person in a wheelchair. I'm going for my personal record. Um, you know, it's a porta potty running. It's Elvis running. You know, it's like, and Jim was like, we're not quite right. Like, we're not, we're not, I see what you're doing, but we're not, we're not quite there. So I just kept pushing, pushing. And then finally, like the brand was at a point where we could really let the hair out and just kind of go. And so went in again, said yes, commissioned um, Peter. We created a whole visual library of illustrations of the community of runners. We had sponsored athletes. We had, and it was really important for me. This project was super important for me because, um, I had, I had worked with illustrators before at Seattle magazine and the other projects. And at YM, we did these like fantastic, like really bold things, but they were just kind of cheeky and fun. And it was like, Oh, my boyfriend loves me or this. It was like, it wasn't like new, the New Yorker. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but with illustration, you go but the difference between photography and illustration photography is like, if you look outside, there is the tree, <laughs> right? But illustration is imagination. Mm -hmm. And, and what could that, what is that tree? And how does it look through the eyes of this brand? Right. There's a lot of pictures of people running left and running right. There's pictures of your shoe, the bottom of your shoe, you're running up the hill, you're running down the hill. But when you imagine a world illustrated through the lens of the brand values, like you can own that. And that's something that's hard. Uh, Jim used to say, like, we need to build a moat around the brand, mm -hmm. right? A defensible moat and our, and our things that we need to create need to be ours. So doing this box, um, it was like one of the most sustainable boxes. I was on the, I got to be on the sustainable committee and I had done some of that with, with Lexus, but, um, it was huge. So I was at Brooks, um, the company that I'd worked at before the startup called me back. They couldn't quite figure out what to do at, at Regents. What, like the, the soul of the company, uh, when it got acquired, they couldn't, they kind of got corporate. The founder called me. I'd been at Brooks three years. We had just bought land here in Carnation because mm -hmm. we were starting to imagine this, this, this project. And uh, so I went back to the startup. First time ever in my entire career that I boomeranged back to a place um it always seems different in your mind and then you get there and you realize maybe why you left <laughs> <laughs> so i went i literally stayed for a calendar year because that was kind of my i just needed this and um oh this woman that i worked with the first time at that same startup had since gone to an ad, uh, ad agency in seattle and she called me and said hey i just got this job we need an executive creative director for this agency office in LA office in Seattle, would you come? So I left. So oh, yes, I will. Yeah. Okay. So now, uh, so now I'm at the, so I'm back at an agency and we're, and, um, you know, agencies like you're pitching work, you're managing existing work, you're growing clients, you're, gr you're growing business within existing clients. Um, it wasn't necessarily things I hadn't done before, but there were a few thing, a few things that stood out. We, this is around the time Microsoft was launching Windows Eight. Um, we were working with Acer, uh, Taiwanese uh, hardware company, um, and um, start the new Star Trek was coming <laughs> um, <clears throat> from Paramount, directed by J.J. Abrams, and Acer. The 
as is the case with films, they 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 get companies to offset costs. So Microsoft was the software kind of tech sponsor, and Acer was the hardware. Acer was going through a rebrand. So again, the window of time of these career moves has been really great, you know, and um, some lucky because you don't know. <laughs> right. um, but uh, Acer was redoing their positioning globally. Um, and uh, it was sort of this exploration. And Star Trek is all about exploration to new places, right? So you have this brand and it's like explore beyond limits. So you have this Acer and you have Star Trek and Microsoft. So Microsoft's wanting to, you know, promote the touch of Windows 8. And um, so my job was to come up with a way to integrate Acer um, that made sense with the context. And the movie's set in the future, so the products aren't even there right and um so we would we would we got to go down to paramount we would go down there we got to see different parts of the movie but we never got to see the whole movie and you couldn't take parts with you back <laughs> like you get to see like previews of it and you can never release anything commercially that hadn't already been in a trailer or a teaser <laughs> okay but there's a part in the movie spoiler alert i mean the movie's been out for a long time so um where uh one character's in a room that you can't get out of because there's like chemicals and sparks on the other side of the glass and they touch their hands to the glass. And it's like, oh man, this is like, I mean, I didn't write the movie, but I was like, oh, thank you, J.J. Abrams. Because <laughs> like, this is touch. Like, this is mm -hmm. like literally like the the software potential of like human connection, right? Um, we couldn't use it because it would give away like that critical part in the movie. But what we did was had to create two storylines. One sort of everything that happens within the ship, um, which is lightness. Everything's white and bright and hopeful. And then everything that happens outside the ship, which is dark and mysterious. Um, and so we use those sort of like inspired by the film and created these they're also introducing a new product that sort of looked like it it was a laptop that the keyboard detached from the screen to become a tablet and so we had to create uh these spots that look like they were in the film but weren't in the film so there, there were moments of b-roll from the actual trailer spliced together with these cgi kind of moments and um i remember we you know we had to send them for approval to Paramount and sure Microsoft Acer and Bad Robot which is JJ Abrams and like they're like oh like this is wow this this uh, this actually you know this actually works and I don't I don't I mean I, you know everybody knows Star Trek and they're like oh JJ Abrams like gigantic you know insane so here we are sending this thing over the fence and uh, apparently he ended up, they ended up liking it so much that he ended, they ended up providing a score for the, for the spot. So, and it was one of those kind of moments too, where you're like taking, then you're realizing like, oh man, like I'm watching Lost and I'm watching, oh, this is the guy that is the mind behind this thing. So, um, it's kind of like the athlete thing, like the Gretzky thing, whatever, like suddenly like you're, you're working in in the same oxygen space as these people that you've like grown up watching. And so it's like super, super powerful, um, for me to, to be there, like at that time I ended up, 
Um, I remember there was a baseball game in Seattle. There was like, there was like two sporting events in the same day on like one of the worst traffic days. And at this time I was commuting from, cause we were, we were, we were living on the East side. And so my commute from like the sculpture garden home was already like 45 minutes to an hour that day. It took like five hours to get home. And I remember coming home just saying like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, um, I had, I felt like I had enough pieces of the puzzle to like, say, we're going to, I'm going to start my own thing now. Like I I've seen the, the inside, I've seen the outside, I've, I've gathered my, my group Mm -hmm. and, um, we're going to give this a shot. So I quit, I quit the agency and, um, it was a a little risky because we were, we, we had hired, you know, we were underway with the house. Okay. We're going to stop. Yeah. Folks, you have to tune in next week to hear about the house (laughs) and about Lou's agency. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore Law State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. Glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.